Amen. Isn't that a great little parable? And they live happily ever, ever after. I'm Greg Boyd, a teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. Really good to be here with all of you this morning, worshiping together. And now we're going to crack open the word. Uh, that is how, that little clip we just saw, it's how you make enemies. It starts with just judgments of suspicion. This probably won't work. You're probably incompetent. I disagree with you. And it builds from there. Did you notice that with the boxes? Uh, they become judgments of you're incompetent to judgments to you're stupid and you're evil. You know, it, it, it just kind of builds. And the, the, end, the only way to reverse that is to change the way you look at people. Like we have these judgments that get built up and, and we see the person through that, the grid of those judgments. Uh, we're not really seeing the person at all. We're just seeing our judgments about the person. We create a narrative about them, and that defines them. And the only way to reverse that is to change the narrative, to start to notice things that maybe are positive about the person and things that you agree with and things that you can build on. Uh, this election season that we're in, this interesting, very odd, very roller coasterish, sometimes entertaining uh, Election cycle, we're in. we've seen a lot of the first being done, but not much of the second. Would you agree with that? A lot of wall building. It started, you know, way back when with just, uh, we disagree, and then it gets a little harsher and a little harsher. You know, your, 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 your policies are not going to work. Your policies are dangerous. You're dangerous. You're evil. And it just kind of builds from there. And now we've got these tremendous walls going on with very little attempts to try to push back in the, the opposite direction. Uh, one person tried, if you remember in the second debate, where they like, is there anything you guys like about each other? <laughs> Can you say anything positive at all? Uh, that was, that, that was a, a, a refreshing moment, in, a, little, a little refreshing oasis in a sea of, of venomous, toxic rhetoric. Uh, but uh, on the whole, it's been pretty nasty. Um, as kingdom people who get all of our confidence and hope from our president, Jesus, hallelujah, um, that ought to give us a little bit of distance, enough, uh, so we can step back a little bit and see a little of the humor in some of this, because um, some of it's pretty funny. Uh, here, political cartoons are, are helpful. Uh, late night television can be helpful. Saturday Night Live can be very helpful. <laughs> wrong, wrong, <laughs> warmer, yeah. <laughs> but you sometimes gotta just laugh at it. Here's a little uh, political cartoon someone sent me. Uh, She's in the confessional. She says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Last night I killed a politician. He says, my daughter, I'm here to listen to your sins, not your community service work. <laughs> uh, to the politicians who are listening to this, uh, it's a joke. Uh, it, nothing to be taken seriously. This is not a call to violence. But uh, yeah, you've you got to sometimes laugh at it. So it has been nasty. And often mean-spirited and, and just roller coasterish. It's just crazy. But there is a silver lining in all of this. A silver lining in this otherwise very dark cloud. Um, there's an upside. And the upside, I think, is this. In this toxic, fear-filled, anxiety-filled, hate-filled environment that we find ourselves in, it provides a great kingdom training opportunity. Uh, it, it's a great chance for kingdom people to exercise their spiritual gifts, to rise above the toxicity and the venom and all of that, and practice loving enemies, practice indiscriminate love. That's what we're going to do today. 
um, the, the sermon team as we were putting together this series, I just thought that at a time when loving enemies is least on people's minds, it's a good time to remind ourselves that loving enemies should be most on kingdom's people's mind. And, and if you love your enemies, that means they're not your enemies. And so the title of this message is No Enemy. No Enemy. Uh, this is what we're going to cover here this morning is the, I believe, the most distinctive, most countercultural, um, mo- most beautiful, and most centrally defining aspect of the kingdom. It's also the most challenging, frankly, because it goes against a fundamental aspect of our fallen nature. And because it's the most challenging, it is, and the most countercultural, it is the aspect of the kingdom, as central as it is, as defining as it is, it is the aspect of the kingdom that has been most systematically minimized, if not ignored, throughout history, at least since the 5th century, and still to this day. It's one of the reasons why we come back to this quite frequently here at Wilderness Church, because we're aware that we're all conditioned to water this down, to not take it as seriously as, as the New Testament presents it, and to not see it as as important as the New Testament portrays it. This is absolutely central stuff. So there's three things I'm going to do here this morning. I'm going to first uh, do a little review of what Jesus teaches and models about loving enemies, about having no enemies, about indiscriminate love. And then I'm going to show how this conflicts with a fundamental aspect of the fallen world, which has to do with judgments. And then I'm going to lead us in an exercise where we're going to put into practice, in a very practical way, this indiscriminate love. Uh, In this culture of ours, which has got this polluted atmosphere, we're going to practice loving enemies. If you've been here uh, at Woodland Hills Church or been podcasting for for any length of time, two years or or, or more, uh, some of this will be a review. Although... Tune into it because you'll get something out of it you probably didn't get before. Um, but this is the kind of thing, because it's been so systematically watered down and ignored, and because it's so central, it's the kind of thing that I don't think we can review too often. And for those of you who are listening who have not heard this before, uh, this could rock your world. Uh, I suspect the kingdom is far more radical and far more beautiful than you probably anticipated, than you probably previously believed. I just ask you to keep an open mind uh, and, and compare Scripture with Scripture is what I'm saying here biblical. Uh, so just stay tuned into it. The passage I want to read from is uh, found in Luke chapter 6. Here Jesus says, but to you who are listening, so be listening. Listening is different than hearing. Be really listening here. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Instead, kingdom people, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and then you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank or the tree trunk in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, 
You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Holy Spirit, anoint this message. Be present here. Infuse it with your authority. Build your kingdom in our minds and in our hearts. For all who are in this congregation, for all who will hear this through podcast or some other means, just be present. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus here connects uh, loving indiscriminately, loving enemies with, with refraining from judgment. And I'll get to that connection here in, in, in a little bit. I first want to point out five things about this passage that make it beautiful, that make it radical, that make it countercultural. First of all, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them. No, he, he does not say love most of your enemies or some of your enemies or all but the nasty enemies. He says, is love enemies without any qualification. Same thing we find in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Same thing we find in the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. Love enemies, and they, there's never an exception clause to this. Now, theologians and Bible interpreters since the 5th century have gone to enormous lengths to try to make exceptions. But biblically speaking, there are no exceptions here. He just puts it out there. Second thing you got to know, second point about this passage is this. Uh, in first century Palestine, if you're a Jew in first century Palestine and you hear the word enemy, the first group you think about are the Romans. Romans had conquered this area. They ruled this area. They, they, were, they, they were oppressive. They ruled with tyranny. Uh, the way that they kept peace was this. If any town or any city uh, caused them any trouble, revolted in any way, they'd ride into that town or city, they'd round up some random innocent people, they'd go out to the hilltop and crucify them and leave them out there for at least three days. And it was their way of saying, do you really want to mess with us? Because if you mess with us, this is what happens to you and your loved ones. So their, their rule was oppressive, it was tyrannical, it was unjust. And yet Jesus says, love your enemies. Love those kind of enemies. Most Jews in the first century, when they thought of the Romans, that their attitude was, was the same that most Americans have towards terrorists. Because the Romans were terrorists. They ruled with terror. And so you have to think of, of the Romans along the lines of ISIS. Except that in the case of the first century Jews, uh, Rome had already won. They were already ruling them. So it would be like if ISIS had taken over America. And here comes Jesus saying, love your enemies, those kind of enemies. So if the enemies that Jesus says we're to love and do good to and, and, and bless, if they include groups like Romans and ISIS, then what group wouldn't they include? Uh, that pretty much covers it all. Love the nasty kind of enemies. These are the worst kind of enemies you can possibly have. Jesus says, love them and do good to them. Third thing is, is, is this. You can know that there's no exceptions to this teaching because Jesus bases his teaching on the character of God. We're to love like this because this is how God loves. He's, he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And, and, and so he loves his enemies. So also we are to love our enemies. Uh, we're to reflect his character in all that we do. Uh, it's not based on the merits of the person in front of you. It's not based on the character or the comparative badness of the person in front of you. It's not based, based on anything other than God loves like this. In Matthew, uh, he says, uh, you know, the father uh, causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust and the sun to shine on the righteous and the wicked. That's how the father loves, indiscriminately. The sun doesn't choose who it's going to get warm and the rain doesn't choose who it's going to get wet. It just does what it does. So also God loves like this. So also we're to love like this. So there can be no exceptions to this. The only way you can find an exception to who we're supposed to love is if you found an exception uh, to, to God's love. 
If there's a group that God didn't love, then we'd be okay not loving them. But there is no group that God doesn't love. Therefore, our love is to be all-inclusive. Fourth thing to note is this. And this rocked my world when I first noticed it, uh, probably 15 years ago. It's funny, because I had read this passage, passages like it, a hundred times, and not, didn't notice this. And then one day, you notice it. Jesus says that we're to love like this, to love your enemies, do good to those who uh, abuse you, uh, that, that, that then your reward will be great. Then your reward will be great. And then you will be children of the Most High. Notice this. He makes this the defining mark of a kingdom person. He makes this the defining mark of a child of God. You know, the, the child resembles their parents in, in various ways. They, they laugh like their parents, and they, they, they treat neighbors like the way the parents say you should treat neighbors and things like that. Well, we are to reflect our father's character, especially in this one, one respect. That the way he loves enemies, the way he loves like the rain falls and the sun shines, is how we love. And when we reflect that character... We put on display the truth that we're one of his children. We, we are empowered to love in a way that the world doesn't love. This is the benchmark. So this isn't some optional teaching, some fringe teaching, uh, Greg's little hobby horse. Uh, this is absolutely central. And it, it's all the more important because we've had a long tradition of watering it down and denying it, and yet it's the central defining characteristic of a child of God. That's why Jesus, when he's, when he's talking to Pilate, um, Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? Are you a competitor? And Jesus says, no, look at uh, My kingdom is not of this world. If it, if it was of this world, well, you'd know it because my servants would be fighting to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now, or, but as you can see, my kingdom is from another place. All the kingdoms of this world, because, as I said two weeks ago, they're predicated on a mistrust of God as king. Because of that, they put their trust in the sword. They trust in the power of violence to maintain law and order within their boundaries and to protect themselves against invaders outside their boundaries. So all the kingdoms of the world engage in violence. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a Christian kingdom of the world, a kingdom of the world that turns the other cheeks and loves their enemies and, and, and things like that. No, they, 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 they all survive by relying on violence. So it's a defining characteristic of the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus points to the fact that his followers aren't fighting as the proof that his kingdom is from another place. They are part of the kingdom of God. He, Jesus could have added, well, one of my soldiers kind of misguided Peter. You know, he's a hothead. Uh, he took out a sword and tried to fight, but I rebuked him because that's not how we do in the kingdom of God. Here we love our enemies and we refrain from violence. And so this is the defining mark of a child of God. And this is the proof that you are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. And the final thing I'll say about this passage, the fifth thing, is, is that Jesus understands. He, he clearly knows that what he's teaching here is radical and counterintuitive and countercultural. It, it's radical. It, it, it's not what you'd expect. In the world, the way people love is that you love those who love you, Jesus says. In the world, love is kind of a quid pro quo thing. You love those who love you, and you don't like, like those who don't like you. Uh, you love because you get something out of it. There's something in it for me. I love you because of this, and then you get that to me. It's sort of a deal, quid pro quo deal. Uh, it's an arrangement. Love those who love you and, and hate those who hate you. That's how it works in the world. But Jesus says, look, if you love like that, what credit is that? Where's the reward in that? Everyone loves like that. That's nothing special. Don't feel proud of the fact that you love those who love you. Okay? That's just being human in a fallen world. 
You put on display the unique character of God and the unique love of God when when your love goes beyond that. When you love people that the world would never love, when you love and there is nothing in it for you. In fact, when you love and it's going to cost you something, when you love and it might cost you your life, now that puts on display the character of the Father. So this kind of love radically is radically different from the ordinary love of the world. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 1, he says to the cross, because the cross is all about self-sacrificial love, this ridiculous love of God where Jesus died for us while we were yet enemies. Uh, to the world, that looks foolish and weak. What could look foolish, more foolish and weak than God becoming a human being, dying for enemies when he could have easily crushed them? That looks stupid, foolish, and weak. But to us, Paul says, to those who are being saved, It is the power of God. So also, the way we love ought to look foolish and weak to the world. It doesn't doesn't fit their common sense paradigm. It doesn't doesn't seem right. It looks foolish and weak. But we know that it's this kind of love that is the power of God and that will ultimately transform the world and uh, be victorious in the end. So this love contrasts strongly with the kind of love we have in the world. And it is the defining mark of a child of God. Now, Jesus, as any good teacher, he doesn't just teach this, he models it. He models it throughout his whole life. But the clearest way he models it is on the cross. When he dies on the cross, he could have called legions of angels. He could have accepted Peter's defense of him. He could have done a lot of things to avoid this, but he chose to suffer uh, unjustly to put on display the character of God. And that becomes an example that we're to follow. So we, we read this in Peter. Peter says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that is commendable before God. That's not what our flesh wants to hear, is it? We thought it was commendable when we stand up for our rights. If you suffer for doing good, you endure it. This is commendable before God. Because to this, this unjust suffering, you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So the cross is something God did for us. But one of the things he did for us is he gave us a model that we're to emulate. This is how we're to live. And then he goes on to say, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let's unpack this. So the cross is an example. We are to be willing to suffer and die if necessary unjustly, to put on display the nonviolent, enemy-embracing, indiscriminate love of the Father, the love that characterizes the kingdom. Now think about this. Peter tried to defend Jesus, and no one on the planet would think that he was unjust in doing that because Jesus' arrest and trial and execution was unjust. That was justified violence that Peter did. And yet Jesus rebuked him. And Jesus could have called legions of angels, and no no one would think that that was unjust. He would have been justified calling legions of angels and and crushing his opponents because what they were doing was unjust. That was justified violence. And yet Jesus chose to suffer instead, instead of defending himself. And the reason is because, number one, his executioners needed him to do that, and he loved his executioners. And number two, only by responding in this way did he put on display the enemy-embracing, nonviolent, self-sacrificial, indiscriminate love that characterizes God and that is to characterize his children. I can't tell you the number of books I have read. It's got to be in the hundreds. And people that I've heard say this, that's got to be in the thousands, where they say things like this. Of course we're to love our enemies. But Jesus doesn't expect us to just neglect our common sense. 
Love your enemies except when it's justified to kill them. It's called just war theory. It goes back, as most wrong things in the church tradition do, back to St. Augustine. Uh, I'll have a word with him when we get to heaven. (laughs) Just war theory. Come on, you're justified. So love enemies unless it's justified to kill them. Well, folks, um, everybody except the sickest people on the planet kill because they think it's justified. Who goes to war and says, let's go for an unjust war. Let's give our lives for something unjust. Everyone believes that their cause is just. That's the trouble. Everyone, I'm convinced our cause is just. You're convinced your cause is just. Boom, we're going to kill each other. Everyone feels justified. So if, if you love enemies except for those you feel justified killing, what's the credit in that? What's the reward in that? That's what everybody does. That's what everybody's already doing. In fact, that whole just war theory is my humble opinion. is It does nothing more than make you feel good about your killing because you're already doing it because you think it's just. Uh, Jesus suffered unjustly. It's when you suffer unjustly, when you have the power to do otherwise. You could choose to do otherwise, and yet you choose to manifest the character of God. That is what puts on display the, the uh, character of the Father and shows that you are a child of the Father. And then notice this. When they insulted Jesus, he did not retaliate. And when they made him suffer, and think for a moment on how they made him suffer, uh, he did not give threats. Instead, Peter says, he left all he, 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 he trusted himself to him who, ju- who judges justly. There's one judge, and Jesus trusted that one judge. He'll take care of any wrongs that need to be corrected and everything. So he pa- Jesus himself passed by judgment. He didn't judge. And that's why he didn't give threats and didn't retaliate. Any kind of threat or any kind of retaliation would be predicated on a judgment he had about the people. Jesus left all that to the Father. And that, folks, also is part of the example that we are called to follow to leave all judgment to God. Now, let me throw in a a little caveat here. Uh, Jesus' choice to suffer manifested the love of God because it was a choice. Uh, His choice was loving because it was his choice to make and he could have chosen otherwise. And that's why it was a loving choice. When people are suffering and they didn't choose it, however, well, you're you're in a different game there. There's been a long history of this passage being applied in some abusive ways, ways like white slave owners telling their slaves, hey, listen, the Bible says you just got to put up with it and suffer, uh, you know, even if you think it's unjust. And this is righteous. God will reward you. In the, you'll have a pie in the sky when you die by and by. In the meantime, be our slaves. Um, look, at, if you have a, a woman who is being abused by a husband, um, there, it's not loving to just submit to that. It's not loving to her. It's not loving to him. She's made in the image of God. She deserves better treatment than that. He's in the image of God, and, and he deserves to be treating people better than that. He's got this sick view that this is the appropriate way to treat people. That's beneath him. And so there, the loving thing to do is to confront it and expose the truth. Or, or when you've got, you've, you've got black folks who are having their basic rights denied and being made to feel like their, their life is in danger, sometimes is in danger, because they're pulled over for a traffic stop for no reason at all. Well, there it's not loving just to say, oh, we're going to submit to it. Uh, it's not loving to you because you're made in the image of God. And it's not loving to the white-dominated authorities because they're in the image of God. And the way they're treating you is, is beneath them and you. So in situations like this, the loving thing to do is to expose the truth, to expose the truth in the hope that the person who's oppressing you or abusing you will see the light and turn from their ways. 
That's why Martin Luther King, and I love this about him, he said that you know, before his marches, he would tell people, I don't want you to march unless you can, you're marching here not just for your own freedom, but for the freedom of your oppressor, because they're in bondage too. The, their, their bondage looks different from yours, and they're benefiting from it, but it's bondage all the same. Yes. Amen. And until, until all are free, none of us are truly free. And so in those situations, you expose the truth. And in the case of the uh, woman with abusive husband or anyone who's connected to an abuser, um, you reveal the truth, you confront the truth, you expose it, but the person will not hear it. There is a time when, because you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, which means you love yourself, you assert your intrinsic worth by walking away. I'm worth more than this, and you walk away. And even there, this is your last resort, and you're doing it in love, that this maybe will finally shock the person into some sense and realize that what they're doing is wrong and get help for whatever they need help with because something's messed up in their brain if they're treating you that way. This, this is what God does, actually, in the Bible. He's, he stays in the game, mercifully trying to get people to turn, you know, pleading with them. But when he sees that that has no hope of working, he walks away. He withdraws. That's all he does. That's judgment. That's the wrath of God. And he leaves people to their own devices. And evil is always self-destructive, so there's always pain involved in that. But it's only loving when you're choosing to do it when you could have done otherwise. So when we are confronting someone who regards himself as our enemy... And, and we can either harm them, kill them on the one hand, or love them and not retaliate and suffer unjustly on the other hand. The example of Jesus calls us to do the latter, to live in love and, and to manifest the enemy-embracing, self-sacrificial, nonviolent, indiscriminate love of God to this person. Now, Jesus could only do that because he left all judgment to God. He refused to judge. He left that all to God. And see, this gets us to this, the fundamental reason why this kind of love is so rare in this world and why um, uh, this is the distinctive mark of a kingdom person. It's because we live in a world that where hardly anyone leaves judgment to God. We live in a world where everyone thinks they have the right to judge. They feel good about their judgments. They feed off their judgments. In fact, we live in a world that's fundamentally structured around judgments. It runs on judgments. And to love like this is to opt out of that world. Uh, this, is, this is why the original sin in the Bible is the sin of judgment. It's right there in Genesis 3, this profound inspired passage where the tree that they were not to eat of and the tree that they ended up eating of was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's built into that concept is that you think you have the right to define good and evil. Our, our rebellion against God consists most fundamentally of this. That we think we are wise like God. That's what the enemy tempted, uh, the serpent tempted Eve with. You can be wise like God. We think we're wise like God. We think we can define good and evil like God. And we think we know enough about people to apply good and evil to other people. That's what, that's what judgment is all about. And the truth is we're not wise like God. And we don't know people well enough to apply these categories, even if we were wise like God. What happens with us is that a part of our fallen condition, a central part of it, is that we're self-centered. We have this me-first attitude, as Seth talked about last week. Uh, we have a disease, this me-first disease. And when, me, when people diseased with the me-first virus, um, when, when, when they think they are wise like God and eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they always bend the tree to their own advantage. Because we have a me-first affliction, all of our judgments tend to be self-serving. So if my me-first agenda agrees with your me-first agenda and we can help each other, well, then you're good. And you think I'm good, so let's work together. But if my me-first agenda conflicts with your me-first agenda, we got a problem here. And, 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 and so I, I begin to see you as bad and maybe stupid and incompetent. And, and as the judgment wall grows, I see you as evil. 
Or if, if my, me, first nation and tribe and religion and political party agrees with your tribe and, and nation and political party and religion, well, then that's good. I'll see you as good. But if your, me, first nation, tribe, political party and religion disagrees with mine, competes with mine, hinders mine, wants to win over mine, well, I'm going to be inclined to see you as evil. And this, this entire world is addicted to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the entire world is afflicted with this me-first disease, which is why we live in this world that is, is categorized by us-them categories, friend-foe categories, good-evil categories, which is why no one, hardly anyone, is leaving judgment to God, which is why hardly anyone has the capacity to love indiscriminately, which is why almost everyone has enemies. And this world gets fractured up along the, wall, the lines of the walls of judgment that, that, that we create. The world is reduced to, and it has been this way since the time of the fall, it becomes this me-first merry-go-round of judgment. And, 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 and what we're seeing in our culture right now, folks, is this me-first merry-go-round of judgment on steroids. Because folks are convinced, a lot of folks are convinced that the stakes are so high. Uh, uh, the future of America is at stake. Uh, the future of, of, of civilization is at stake. Uh, the future of the universe is at stake. And so uh, the me first, the, the merry-go-round spins faster and faster. So you turn on the news and what do you hear? Uh, representatives of one party are saying, your policies are dumb and even dangerous. And your party is just part of the rigged system. And your candidate is, is this nasty, nasty woman who's hypocritical and greedy and power hungry and, and a criminal. And the other party says, no, you're wrong. Our policies are wise and good. Your policies are stupid and even dangerous. And your party is sold out to uh, all the deplorable people. And, and, and your candidate is a, a misogynist, bigoted, bully, pig who's got the temperament of a psychopathic, neurotic toddler and, 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 and he sexually brags about sexually assaulting women. He ought to go to jail. The other one says, no, you, your candidate should go to jail. No, your candidate should go to jail. So now we get to vote on which candidate we think should go to jail. <laughs> who's the greater criminal here? Oh, uh, folks. And merry-go-round, it goes round and round and round. That's, it's a judgmental, it's a, it's a me-first merry-go-round of judgmental mayhem that's running on the axis of us, them, good, evil, friend, foe categories. And the devil's laughing all the way to the bank. So into this, this, this me-first merry-go-round of judgmental mayhem enters the kingdom of God. Jesus and his kingdom show up, and Jesus proclaims to anyone who will hear, uh, look, if you get your life from me, you won't have to be addicted to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you get your life from me, I can set you free from that, that judgment. I, I can get you off that crazy merry-go-round. If you get your life from me, you'll be empowered to love with an indiscriminate kind of love. If you get your life from me, uh, you'll be empowered uh, to, to have no enemies. And it feels so good and so free to have no enemies. Jesus enters into this merry-go-round world of judgmental mayhem, and he says, will you, will you die to the me-first mindset and seek first the kingdom of God and leave all judgments up to God? Uh, will you die to getting your identity and your life from your nation and tribe and political party and religion and get all your identity and all your life in me? Get your life in, in, in the love of God that's revealed on Calvary. Get your life in the eternal security of knowing that you're loved with an everlasting love. Will you die to all other identities and die to all other judgments? And, and, and he enters this world of, of, of mayhem, this judgmental mayhem, and, and he says to his followers, 
remember that you're ambassadors here. You're not citizens. Remember you're ambassadors. You're ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And your call is to manifest the self-sacrificial, enemy-embracing, non-violent, indiscriminate love of God to all people at all times. So do not allow yourself to get sucked back onto that merry-go-round. Don't allow yourself to get sucked into the us-them polarities, the good-evil, friend-folk categories. In fact, he comes into this religious world of merry-go-round mayhem judgment stuff, and, and, and he says this, kingdom people, my followers, don't even look at people uh, in, in the categories of judgment. No, opt out of all that. Don't, don't, don't look at people uh, through the us-them categories, the for-us-against-us categories, the good-evil categories. Don't look at people uh, through the categories of whether they're for you or against you or, or whether they're righteous or unrighteous or grateful or ungrateful. Don't look at them through the categories of whether they're male or female or American or Iraqi or gay or straight or even Christian or Muslim. Don't look at them in the categories of whether they're important or unimportant or rich or poor or anything like that because all those categories were born up on the cross, praise God. They're, they're, they're obliterated on the cross. You're to look at people in an entirely new way. Look at people through the lens of the new creation that was created in Christ Jesus. Look at people through the lens of the one new humanity that was created in Christ Jesus. Look at people through the lens of the truth that God has removed everything that separates God from, from people. Look at people through the truth that God's not holding their sin against them. Look at people through the truth, knowing the truth that the person you're seeing has unsurpassable worth because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price for them. Let that be your opinion about them and put everything else aside. King of the people, remember you're my ambassadors, the ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and you're part of a kingdom that has an us, but it has no them. And it has a, has a center, but it has no border. And it, it, uh, it, it has an all-encompassing, uh, all-embracing love and therefore has no enemy. That is the kingdom we're a part of, and that's the kingdom we're called to manifest to this, merry this world of merry-go-round judgments, mayhem. It's causing all the conflict, all the hostility, all the fear, all the violence. It's all part of that merry-go-round. We're to opt off of it and reflect to people an entirely different way of being, of doing, because we're reflecting an entirely different king, entirely different God, whose character looks foolish and weak to this world, but we know that it's the power of God. Amen? Okay, so let's apply this. Let's apply this. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to lead us in an exercise here. As a preamble to this exercise, I want to say this. It is okay and even necessary to distinguish between things, uh, to judge between things. Uh, you agree with this? You don't agree with this? You think, you think this is helpful? This is not helpful? This is healthy? This is not healthy? This is safe? This is dangerous? Um, this is trustworthy, this is not trustworthy. We have to make judgments like that all the time. Should my kids go out and play in this neighborhood? Well, is it a safe neighborhood? We have to do that. So th that's okay. That's perfectly fine. The judgments that we are prohibited from making have to do with the worth of people. We're allowed to separate things, but we're never allowed to separate ourselves and distinguish ourselves from others and put ourselves above others and to see them as worth less than what Jesus says they're worth. That's, that's, that's the dividing line. That's why Jesus, in order to collapse that addiction to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he told us, we saw it today, that anything we think we, any shortcoming we see in another person, we're, we're to regard that as a mere dust particle compared to our tree trunk, which means we're to regard ours as a million times worse. We're never to be putting ourselves over someone. We're to always be putting ourselves under someone to manifest the humility of the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's the kind of judgment I'm talking about. So I want you right now to envision the candidate 
that you think is the worst or that you disagree with the most? <laughs> I don't care how pain you do it. <laughs> Envision them as vividly as you can. Maybe it's the last time you saw them on television. Maybe it's the last time uh, you saw them in person. And it could be a presidential candidate, it likely is, but it could be a, a, a senator, congressman, mayor, anything. And maybe you have no opinions about political candidates, good for you. Um, but certainly there's some people in your life that you have trouble loving. Just envision them. Okay, just get a clear picture of them. But I'm going to be focusing on the political candidates because that's, I want to use this as an opportunity for training here. So get a vivid picture. Now, as, as you're envisioning them, if it helps to close your eyes, do that. As you get a vivid picture of them, know that it's okay for you. Don't feel bad about disagreeing with them. Don't feel bad about thinking that their ideas aren't going to work uh, or even thinking that their ideas are dangerous or even thinking that they're not trustworthy. Okay, that's, that's okay. But I, I want us to ask the Spirit here to help us be honest with ourselves. Do, does your attitude go beyond that? Does your attitude enter into the realm of being hostile towards them? Do you harbor judgments against them? Do you find them revolting, disgusting, maybe worthless? Them. Not their ideas. One way of getting at this is to ask the question, be honest here, would you enjoy seeing them in pain? Uh, being socially disgraced, humiliated, maybe locked up? Do you wish the worst for them? And if any of that lands... You've crossed the line. And so, if you're a kingdom person, I want you to now do this. Will you, first of all, confess that that is sin, because it is sin. You're missing the mark. This is, these are not attitudes that kingdom people should have. You expect that in the world. That's what makes the merry-go-round go round. But for kingdom people who have opted off of that, there's no place for that. So will you confess that that is sin and repent of it, which just means you turn from it. You're not going to embrace those attitudes anymore. Or maybe language you've been using about them. You're not going to embrace that anymore. And you commit to, now, whenever you find yourself crossing that line again, you'll turn from it. Because you will cross that line again. Our brains are creatures of habits. If you've been doing this for a while, you're going to do it again. But commit to when you find yourself doing that, you repent. Confess it as sin. Now will you ask the Holy Spirit right here to uh, empower you to release that, to just turn it all over to God the way Jesus did. Leave all vengeance to God, Paul says in Romans 12. Leave all judgment to God. Just turn it over to him. You're not the judge of the universe. He is. You're allowed one opinion. And so turn it all over to him. Ask the, power, ask the Spirit to help you do that. Just relinquish it completely. And now let's ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to really, actually, authentically agree with God that the candidate that is in your mind right now, keep on vividly imagining them, they have unsurpassable worth because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price for them. And your job as a disciple of his is to agree with him about that. They, 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 are, they could not be more precious to God than they are this moment. They probably don't know that. Uh, and so they probably don't reflect that. Maybe a lot of their behavior and stuff doesn't reflect that. But that doesn't matter. You know it. And your job is to manifest that. So agree with God that this person has unsurpassable worth. And the final thing I want us to do is this. And here I'm going to give an assignment. 
that I want you to, if you're a kingdom person, to commit to carrying this out throughout the rest of this election cycle, the next nine days, and beyond, if you feel that God's calling you to it. And the commitment is this. Will you pray for this person? Pray blessing on this person. Because Jesus tells us to do that. Bless them. Pray blessing on all their relationships. Blessing on their family. You don't have to pray that they're going to win because you don't think they should win. That's fine. Uh, in fact, I encourage you not to pray for that. But, but, uh, but, but, but pray for them and, and blessing on them. Pray that whatever needs to be healed will get healed. Pray that whatever they're in bondage to, they'll get delivered from. Love believes all things and hopes all things. Pray the best for them. Judgment wants the worst for them. But kingdom blessing wants the best for them. So pray the best for them. Pray that they could become all that God knows they could become. And whatever the relationship with God is, if they have a relationship with God, uh, pray that God will use this experience and then beyond this uh, to draw them closer to him. Can you pray that? Pray the best for them. And see, as you're doing this, you're helping them because every prayer and every blessing brings the kingdom a little bit more into this world. Their, their life will be more kingdomized because of your prayer. So you're, you're doing a kingdom service here. But you're also, and maybe even more so, doing a service to yourself. Because this is the only way, the only way to stay above the toxicity of our atmosphere. It's the only way to not be polluted. It's the only way not to not get sucked in to the us, them, good, evil, friend, foe polarities of this merry-go-round that we find ourselves on. And so by praying for that, you're, 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 you're keeping your mind and your heart distinctly kingdom. In fact, I'll just throw this out here. Here's a, a discipline I encourage all of us to be doing every day of the rest of our life. And that is pick out the two or three people that you have the hardest time praying for and pray for them. <laughs> Make it a discipline. Because that will grow you. It will expand you. It will, it, will, it will change the way you look at the world. It will keep you from being polluted by this, this, this toxic environment that we are in. And the final thing I'll say, say is this. And it feels good. It feels good. The truth is, you know, judgments, you feel like you're, you're sucking worth for yourself. I'm not like them. You know, I don't grope after women and whatever. It feels like, but actually judgments suck. Judgments suck. They suck life out of you. They, they do. They suck life out of you. Uh, they suck joy out of you. They suck love out of you. They, they, they just, they just they're, they're little leeches on the soul. And, and, and it's a heavy burden to be God. It's a heavy burden to be the, the judge or the arbiter of all things righteous and unrighteous. And it's so freeing to get rid of that. It, just get rid of it. You know, now you're free just to love without judgment, indiscriminate love. And that is free, and that feels good. Doesn't it feel good? I bet some of you are feeling good right now. Oof, I get it off my chest. That's right. Get rid of that toxicity. Stand up. Uh, I'm going to close with this uh, benediction. In fact, I'd like us all to pray this. Um, if you're a kingdom person and you agree with this, then pray it with gusto. Make it your prayer. If you're not a kingdom person, or for whatever reason you disagree with it, come up here at the end of the service. Our prayer team's up here, and they'd love to pray with you and, sh- and introduce you to the kingdom. And if you have any other need that could use prayer, come up here and pray with these folks. Let's, uh, let's all pray this together. May we always remember that our one true president is Jesus Christ and that he alone is deserving of our complete allegiance. May we never forget that all of our hope, confidence, and security about the future is to be anchored in the promise of Christ's coming victory and reign, never in the outcome of this or any other election. May we always remember that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, 
who are stationed in a foreign land with an assignment, which is to follow the example of Jesus by manifesting the unique love and beauty of God's kingdom to all people at all times. May we always remember to place ourselves under people, never over people, as we leave all judgment to God. May we always remember to yield to God's spirit who empowers us to love without judgment, without distinction, without exception, without reservation, without any thought of its cost to us. And may we never forget that we belong to a kingdom that has a center but no border, that has an us without a them, and that has a supreme lover but no enemy. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world. Hey, don't forget to pick up the the grocery list uh, so we can feed folks on the way out. See you next week.